from KQED. LA is a big place, right? And it can feel vast and a bit lonely at times. And just that friendly voice in the morning, I think, meant a lot. It meant a lot to me when I would hear it. And I think it meant a lot to many people hearing him say good morning and giving them the traffic and just setting them on their way in the day. I'm Steve Julian. This is 89.3 KPCC. There is word of an accident on the 5 southbound of Los Feliz, a backup from the 118. And One of the, on the things that makes public radio so comforting is that you do hear the same voices every morning. There's a consistency. It almost doesn't matter what you hear Steve Julian say, and it's usually about some horrendous SIG alert on this freeway or that, um, so much as you are hearing Steve Julian every morning, day after day. You hear his voice come on, and you know that everything is fundamentally right with the world. We're still here. He could be reading the phone book. It doesn't matter that much. I'm Rachel Myro. I'm Polly Stryker. And you're listening to Love in the Digital Age. Today, a story about the impending death of somebody we both love very much and the woman who is standing by his side through it all, doing amazing work in the privacy of their home, but also reaching out for community online. Would you be willing to read that first post? (sighs) Okay. Steve is dying from brain cancer. We are so sorry that this information is being relayed this way. We are so blessed with so many of you, and there are only two of us, so we hope you'll forgive the impersonal nature of a blog post. On the day before Thanksgiving, Steve and I were informed that he had a large mass on the left side of his thalamus. We have since worked feverishly to determine if we could get out of him safely and what his treatment options were. We have here in L.A. some of the most skilled surgeons in the country and tried to find the best path, hopeful for something we could call good news. Steve is okay, his spirits are good, and he's surrounded by more love than he ever knew existed. But his short-term memory is failing and he loses words every day. He tires very easily and my focus right now is to honor his wishes while protecting his health and well-being. Please do not email or call at this time. There are so, so many of you, and again, only two of us. On a personal note, I am okay in moments, but I am a shattered human being. There is no detailed prognosis yet, but we do know that there is no outcome that we like. And now a word from Steve. Felicia and I are trying to tie up some loose ends before my biopsy next Thursday, but I want to take a moment to talk about this. I forget things, a lot of things, from moment to moment or from day to day. How do I feel? I have this presence in my head. It's an odd feeling. There's no pain, really, but I am definitely aware that something is going on. As I speak, Something whisks away the words as I am talking, and I struggle to recapture them. It's like they took a detour in my brain and got stuck on the 405. I miss being at work and in the studio. I miss being with all the people I love at KPCC. I'm still good at traffic. We chose UCLA for surgery and treatment, and navigating to the west side can be tricky. The tumor can take away what I had for dinner, but not my memory of the traffic jams I've sat in. I'm sad. I feel the unfairness of all of this. 
But I also feel the love for my wife, which grows every day as she balances the technical work of our affairs with the emotional work of our daily life. She tells me I'm loved about a hundred times a day. I remember a few of them. More to come. Thank you for being my friend. We both worked with him at KPCC in Los Angeles. And when I saw Felicia's first post, I was shocked because he's, he's a young guy. Quite a few people have written about the process either of going through a traumatic or fatal illness themselves or, or watching someone they love do it. Um, one of the reasons I found Felicia's writing so affecting um, is, aside from the fact she's just a fabulous writer, I'm, the detail. She goes into these wonderful details that just put you right there in that hospital room or at the breakfast table having a cup of honey lace tea with her talking about stuff. You just feel like you are in her head, in her heart. And I feel, as a storyteller, I can see her trying to craft a narrative around this traumatic experience she's having. Um, Because, of course, she had a story about how her life was going, and this brain cancer has upended that narrative. So so how did you guys meet? We got to ask that. We met on Facebook. (laughs) Um, I am the... uh, spokesperson for Foothill Transit, a local uh, public transit agency. And at the time that we met online um, in 2008, I would stay up until two or three in the morning. And I would just send out a bunch of private messages. And Steve was on the list that day. And of course, because of his schedule uh, as a morning host, he was up. And so like, it's 2 a.m. and I'm writing this and I send it out. And then I get a response back immediately. He's like, so what's going on at Foothill? We got married in uh, November of 2014, so we, we've only been married for a little over a year. They have a lovely house. When you look out the windows from their living room, it is a panoramic view of the San Gabriel Mountains and a gorgeous garden. That overlooks the freeway, it must be said. Nonetheless, is this fabulous bucolic. It feels like an English cottage. There are fruit trees and bees buzzing. A fountain. Felicia keeps bees. She's a beekeeper. She sent us away with honey that she has cultivated. I went around the garden. I was eating nasturtiums and looking at the the fruit trees. We don't normally eat the produce in um, interview subjects backyard, but (laughs) sometimes you feel compelled. Um. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. It was such a beautiful garden, and they have, they have dogs running around. They really, you know, they really created a, a cottage in the city. It's an urban cottage, a bucolic little place for themselves, for their new lives. They're, they're, they've only been married for a little over a year, and they, they, they've just made a nest for themselves there. This was so sudden. It wasn't that kind of gradual onset that, that Alzheimer's is. It didn't sound or feel like dementia. It was so quick and so speedy. And it was very eerily similar to what happened to my aunt, my tia Gloria. Um, She was in 2008 diagnosed with uh, the same brain tumor that Steve has, just in a different location of her brain. He would start to drop sentences. Like he he would start a sentence and say, and then there would be nothing. Like he wouldn't be able to. Like he just lost his train of thought. 
it was a little different because usually when you lose your train of thought, you kind of snap your fingers and you're like, you know, that thing with the stuff and the blah. He wouldn't even do that. It was just like, like a wall came down. Nothing was there, which for a guy like Steve is like, that's a huge red flag for me. Did he recognize that something was going on or was he like, oh, no, you got it all wrong? I think he did. And I think he was really scared by it. But I also think he wanted to downplay it because he didn't want to confront what it could be. I had a conversation, Polly, with somebody who argued once that um, there's no hierarchy uh, in in grief when it comes to those we love dying. Um, The idea that there's not one that's more horrific than another. But I don't feel that's true. If somebody's lived a long life, so I hear what you're saying, because if somebody's lived a long life, then although you might be very sad, it sort of makes sense. It's the natural progression of things. But when someone hasn't lived what you would consider to be a long life, it's really, you lose the future. It's the future that dies. It's about the size of a racquetball. kind of oblong and egg-like, dead center and to the left on his brain, right next to his thalamus. She writes very effectively about being inside hospitals, the cacophony. Even as you're surrounded by this chaos, you're going through something which is so deeply intimate, deeply personal. And the moment of truth was the brain scan, the MRI. It's, it's called a glioblastoma multiform, which is the most common type of brain tumor you can get, but it's also the most aggressive. I mean, technically all tumors are operable. The question that comes into play is, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to get it out? The position and location of his tumor is such that you would have to completely destroy a lot of healthy brain tissue in order to remove it, and you would be creating a situation of paralysis, major cognitive dysfunction, um, irreversible brain damage, and um, ultimately for possibly very little reward. There's no way of of skirting around it. I was looking at his death. A lot of people, when they're facing down the gun barrel of something this awful, sort of retreat into family. But you reached out almost from the beginning to, to people on Facebook who, who know you and who know Steve. We kind of, we kind of had to. You know, Steve's, we've kind of got a unique and peculiar situation. I mean, I mean Steve's a very popular radio host in a, in a very large market. Um, he's also incredibly involved in the theater community here. He also used to be a cop. So you have these seemingly disparate communities that he's actually really connected to. And that's thousands of people. And, and that's including, let's, well, that's including like his most intimate friends all the way down to the casual listener. Some people have, have gone an extra mile to, um, to let Steve know how much they care about what's happening to him. He's had a sandwich named after him in a local restaurant. Uh, KPCC has named a studio after him, and they did it early enough that he could come to the station and appreciate that. That was nice. That was lovely. That was a great gesture. And um, Steve was inspired to create 
an online support group on Facebook for Morning Edition hosts all over the country. And I can tell you, Polly, after many, many years in my career, not just at KQED, working the morning side, working the graveyard shift, they call it graveyard for a reason, you do share a brotherhood and sisterhood with other people who either are living that reality now or used to. And so it was a brilliant idea on Steve's part to start an online support group. And uh, a bunch of a bunch of Morning Edition hosts from all over the country recorded uh, thoughtful messages and spliced them together into a YouTube video, again early so that Steve could appreciate just how many people love him and are thinking about him in this time. Hi, Steve. It's Marianne Zalesnik from WVXU in Cincinnati. You know, I feel like I know you, even though we've never met in person. Please know I'm praying for you every day, and Felicia, take care. Hey, Steve. Ariel Van Cleve here, Morning Edition producer at KPLU. Just wanted to let you know that my thoughts are with you and your lovely, strong wife. I can't even begin to imagine the strain and frustration. There's a lot of relief and purpose in um and having a a mission and a goal as far as making sure he's comfortable and he's at peace and that his needs are always met um the next question then becomes well what about my needs and i have very few but the biggest one is being able to take this sort of jumbled puzzle piece of post-it notes and ideas and thoughts and put them together into something that is like, oh, okay. And usually I don't know what I'm going to conclude until I start writing. And um, by the end of it, I'm like, oh, that's my, that's my aha moment. Okay. All right. And then I go back and I read it and make sure that it's, um, it's actually useful. One, I, I have to make it about Steve. And so most of the time it's about, I, I try to keep at least 80 to 90% of it about his progress, his how he's coping, how he's developing through stuff and what his decisions are and the reasons behind them. And then the portion about my feelings and my emotions and dealing with stuff are a part of that. And they dovetail always into his own experiences. And she's able to, amazingly able to process a lot of this through her writing and slow the clock down and share just the small observations of joy, of intense pain, of love and pain, the yin and the yang of love and pain. How have people responded to these posts? Every time I've posted something, the amount of gratitude that flows from people who who are either grateful for being included or who are grateful for illuminating something that maybe they had difficulty um, explaining themselves, like they couldn't find the words for how they were feeling about their own experiences, and so this helped them that way. Or they're grateful just, you know, to know that Steve's okay for now. Um, Or they're grateful for an opportunity to help. Certainly on a practical level, I mean, I love the way that technology has made it so much easier for people to you know, fill the gap of what health insurance doesn't cover and sign up for sandwich delivery so you don't have, you know, 14 lasagnas on your doorstep one Sunday night. Like, okay, now what? Oh, that still happens. <laughs> that still happens. 
that still happens. I mean, I mean, especially at the beginning. Um, it's it's gotten a little easier to manage now, but and and lasagna is funny. We call it. it <laughs> I think I have like tasted at least twenty different kinds of lasagna since his diagnosis, and they're all delicious. Thank you, everyone. Um, but my experience on social media has always been that it is a connecting fiber and I think that's partly you know, like like anything you get out of it what you put into it like if, if I'm having a really bad day I say something and the funny thing is is when I do that the most amazing things happen so like the other day I posted I had been crying so hard just a few days ago I just couldn't stop I was so sad and so dejected and at the end of the day my status update on Facebook was there just aren't there just aren't enough tissues in the box so the next day, what arrives on my doorstep but a case of Kleenex? <laughs> someone, someone had, they saw that, and the, the message was, we know this isn't enough, but hopefully it helps. I mean, the writing is, um, it's partly therapeutic. It is cathartic for me because I'm bottled up with stuff on my own. I'm here at the house with Steve. 24-7, this is my life with him now. This is my purpose, my job, is to take care of him right now. And um, it can be a lonely existence because the relationship that I used to come to rely on with him, the give and take, the, the emotional support that's mutual doesn't exist anymore. I feel like I'm, I'm always fighting off low-grade depression because of the constant barrage of um, things that, that come with helping someone you love as they deteriorate. I feel his pain when he winces, when I stick the needle in. I get the, the vulnerability he must feel when I have to help him do basic hygiene that you and I do without thinking brushing your teeth, you know. He can't squeeze the tube to get the paste out. Or if I'm giving his medications, he'll, he'll look at them in the cup and look at me like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, okay, that's your medication, so you have to take the pill and you put it in your mouth. And so he'll do that, and then he'll wait for me to explain the rest. Okay, now pick up the glass of water and use that to help you swallow the pill. And then he goes, oh, okay, yeah, and then he does it. He forgets and you can't get exasperated remember we talked about this already no, no that doesn't work you know you have you have to start all over again one of the saddest visuals for me Polly was was staring across the living room into the front room where they have the baby grand piano, which is something Steve used to play quite a lot. Now it just sits there gathering dust. Yeah, the music he had played fairly recently was just sitting there, kind of frozen in time. Do you want the blanket sweets? No. Okay. One of the things we've been focusing on is making sure that every day is about some kind of pleasure, some kind of happy moment, some laugh, something in there that actually makes the day not a routine of caregiving. You know, something that reminds us that um, there are all these wonderful pieces to life and that living it doesn't stop 
with a cancer diagnosis. To be alive is to have the capacity for joy. Yeah, exactly. Do you want French toast mm. with maple syrup? Okay. Or breakfast tacos, chorizo and cilantro? Okay. Or an omelet with chicken? And suddenly it's all gone. You want to go over the list again? So, French toast with maple syrup. Okay. Breakfast tacos with chorizo and cilantro. It's, if you're looking for a silver lining, and if you're looking down a terminal diagnosis and you're not going to do chemo and you still have an appetite, you eat whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> People ask me if he has any dietary limitations. I said, why? <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> so order the chocolate cake. Have the extra bowl of ice cream. Have four. As you can imagine, the response to what Felicia is posting runs the gamut. Um, there's an awful lot of love you, hang in there, we're sending our prayers. Uh, thank you so much for writing and keeping us up to date. Thank you so much for writing so beautifully and putting into words and a human experience that seems to defy words. Uh, people are almost exclusively uh, very grateful for what she's sharing with them. Almost. Posts aren't private. They're public. And I knew that by exposing myself this way, I was also potentially, you know, floating myself into the, into the path of trolls and, and people who maybe don't have as compassionate a heart or, or incredibly cynical or, or any number of things. Or, or have a need to shunt off their fear of death mm-hmm. by, by just being idiots. I mean, there was, there was something, the, the bit about the person who'd, who'd written about the stakes. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, that, right? right? Do you remember yeah, that? Like some mat- like, yeah, of course I remember that. I can forget it. The fact that so- someone had come to me, and, and I've since, we've since mended ways, and, and I, was, I was really pissed off at her for saying it in the first place, but, and it was offhanded. It's just like, well, you know, if he didn't eat red meat, he probably wouldn't be in this situation. And I, I was just like, the fuck? <laughs> the time I had made this sort of dramatic gesture online where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away from you. I'm going to say, thank you very much. You're wrong. You're an asshole. And, and I, I bear you no ill will, but see ya, <laughs> is essentially what I wrote. You should note that if you come to me and say Steve would be fine if he hadn't eaten so much red meat, I won't yell or scream or violently scratch your eyes out. I'll quietly inform you that you are not only full of shit, but incredibly insensitive, and then walk away wishing you peace in your new fell-free life. Please, folks, mind your minds and try to only be helpful and not hurtful. It's really not that hard. And it isn't. But on the flip side, it's also incredibly easy to be heartless. You know, Polly, I, I learned something from Felicia about compassion. Um, I have a tendency to be harsh on people I perceive to be coming from a place of compulsive control issues or self-righteousness rather than compassion when someone is suffering. You, you Either you're afraid of death or you think you know better than they do what they should be doing in their situation. But Felicia cuts people slack. She's walking a very difficult road, a very compassionate road. She's showing great compassion for Steve, and I think that she must be tapping into that for everybody. And there's a real lesson in that. 
She doesn't have any time to deal with anger, and she probably she doesn't need it in her life. You know, we wanted more than a year. We knew we would never be one of those couples that would have 50 years of marriage. We knew it. We, we married late. I was in my 40s, he was in his 50s. We knew the 50th anniversary story was not going to be our story to tell. But we were really hoping for 20 or 25. And we were thought, oh, that's possible. Yeah, that's, that's doable. No big deal. Eh, it's a big deal. We don't say this often about people we interview. Usually there's a kind of reserve that a journalist has. But everything about the way she's taking care of him uh, in these last months speaks to her depth of love for him, the creativity and the compassion of her love for him. And uh, certainly when you see them together, you see how much he is able to appreciate that. I'm very, very happy. With the way that life has turned out. Where it would have gone, who knows? I don't care what we would have done together. As long as we were together. Yeah. I'm so glad that Steve has Felicia and that Felicia has Steve. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to Love in the Digital Age with us today. I'm Rachel Myro. I'm Polly Stryker. This would be a great time for us to thank the people who have made this story and this podcast possible. KQED in San Francisco, our home station. For this particular episode, we'd love to thank Steve Cuevas. Our senior producer was Victoria Maulione. And our executive producer was Holly Kernan. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. It's how people know that we're worth checking out. 